I'm just really excited about what's going on here in Mansfield. Um, really just great to see um, this church just alive and thriving. Uh, like many of you, I was here uh, on the first night on that launch night, and what an exciting night that was. I was the one who had to, halfway through, take my screaming daughter out, if anyone <laughs> recalls that, so I do apologize for that. It was because her balloon had gone flying up into the ceiling and she couldn't uh, get it back. Um, speaking of the balloons, that another great encouragement to me, because um, as some of you will know that I've been having a bit of trouble with my car recently, uh, my uh, little uh, Seat um, Ibiza, um, great car obviously, and, uh, <laughs> and so my, my Seat is a little bit poorly at the moment. I was a bit discouraged about that as I came in, and then I was really encouraged just as I walked in to see, you know, I don't know if you can have the photo just up here, and this great promise, as I walked in, we have a Seat with your name on it. So uh, I was really, really um, excited about that. I'm still, I'm still waiting for it. And with a personalized number plate as well. Look, right? So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll speak to Christian when he gets back about that one, I think. Okay, right. So uh, we are continuing with this theme of uh, laws that live. And uh, Phil uh, introduced that theme a couple of weeks ago. And you have heard uh, the law of inconvenience. Uh, last week, and I'm going to continue that, that theme this, uh, this evening. Uh, this theme is based around uh, the great uh, sermon that Jesus gave that's known as the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus uh, preached this incredible message uh, to a great crowd, and some of the most, I guess, the most renowned, the most uh, widely known and perhaps most widely quoted uh, verses in the New Testament come from these chapters. Uh, Jesus, in what he taught, in what he spoke to that crowd about, raised the bar. He lifted the level of what was expected uh, from the laws uh, that people had been used to and people had previously expected, but all the time keeping those people focused uh, on the bigger picture, on an eternal perspective um, that brought a a whole different dimension uh, to their day-to-day living. And this series is called Laws That Live. This isn't dead scripture. It's not uh, something that, um, you know, a historic text that we can just sort of look back on with academic eyes, but this is, a, this is a passage, this is a scripture that applies to our lives now. It has ongoing relevance today and to our society. And as Jesus shares these values of the kingdom of God, he cuts straight through to the real issues of humanity. And there's nothing in there, in that Sermon on the Mount, that you could read and think, well, you know, that doesn't apply to us today. You know, it's very nice, uh, you know, probably was lovely back then, but doesn't really fit in with us. It applies so clearly now. There's lots of people who would, I guess, out in the world would try and write off church as being dead and being a relic of a, a bygone age, something that, you know, was nice for our grandparents or their grandparents, but, you know, doesn't, can't keep up to pace with the modern world. But Jesus, in this Sermon on the Mount, he addresses anger, violence, revenge. I'm pretty sure that if you buy a paper tomorrow morning, there'll be plenty of anger, violence, and revenge in those papers, in those headlines. He speaks about adultery and divorce. There'll be plenty of that in the papers tomorrow too. And he speaks about poverty and corruption and financial pressure. You begin to get the picture. It applies to us here and now. And so tonight we're going to look at, it is quite a chunk of scripture, but I'd ask you to bear with me because there's some great things in it. uh, If we listen and if we uh, begin to apply it to our situation. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read from verse 1 to verse 18. And I'm going to speak to you tonight about the law of right motivation. 
And it's an issue that applies to many areas of our lives. There's um, three examples that Jesus gives in this passage. It's not an exhaustive list, but it just shows um, that there's a variety of aspects in which we need to check our motives, be aware of the reasons why we do things. So I'm going to read from Matthew 6, beginning at verse 1. Giving to the needy. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in their synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Are you still with me? Great. A long passage, but some amazing uh, principles in there that speak, perhaps speak against, I guess, some of the attitudes that can so easily become ingrained in our lives. In all of these areas, it speaks about giving to the needy, it speaks about prayer, it speaks about Fasting, all of those areas we need to examine our motivation. Because who are we aiming to please? I want us to think about that and think about our lives in general. Who are we aiming to please? Ourselves? Are we aiming to please others? Are we aiming to please God? And I think sometimes, I, I, I guess I've looked at this passage in the past and I've, I've seen it as, you know, Jesus is addressing these you know, these hypocrites and these Pharisees who are so obviously, you know, just doing things in this over-the-top way and, and, you know, having these trumpets sounding as they were giving to the needy and all these things. It's almost like, a, in my mind, sort of a cartoonish picture of someone who's being sort of overly uh, religious and overly announcing uh, the things that they do. But actually, he's not addressing this to the hypocrites. He's not saying, um, you hypocrites, this is not what you should do. He's actually telling the people, don't be like the hypocrites. He's actually speaking 
to us, to each and every one of us. He's not, he's actually comparing us to them, not addressing them. And it's easy to see this kind of distant remote figure of, you know, he's talking to them and saying they shouldn't do that. But actually, the more that I've dwelt on this, as I've prepared for this message, and the more I've reflected on these verses, and as I've talked with Jane about it, I've, I guess I have to be honest with you and say that I've realized that I'm more guilty of some of this stuff than at first I thought I was. And I'm sure as we begin to think about these things, you know, we'll realize that this actually applies to us more than it might first appear. Because I really want to encourage you to consider, you know, how much this is an issue in your life and really begin to apply Jesus' words to your circumstances. It's a huge subject. And as I've thought about it and as I've uh, dwelt on it, I've started to realize that it could go on and on and on. And I won't go on and on and on tonight, I, I promise you. But, you know, you can almost... This thing of motivation, everything comes back to motivation. And uh, I think you'll see that as we, as we start to go through this tonight. Jesus' examples that he gives cover three areas. They cover uh, giving to the needy. It covers prayer. And it covers fasting. And I think in that, obviously it's not an exhaustive list, but there's something in that that is applying it to different areas of our lives. Because he talks about giving to others. So he's speaking here about what we do socially, what we do with other people, uh, what we do to help others. And then he speaks about prayer. So he's speaking here, first of all, socially. Second of all, he's talking about spiritually, what we do spiritually. And then thirdly, and I'm sorry, Phil, I couldn't get another S. Really. <laughs> thirdly, <laughs> he talks about fasting. And he's speaking here about what we do personally. So it affects us socially spiritually and personally. And there's a battle going on with all of us at all times, I think, a battle of motives. And uh, I know that whenever the alarm clock goes off first thing in the morning, and I'm sure others will, uh, will identify with this, there's already a battle of motivation. <laughs> it's motivation versus mattress. <laughs> and I'm ashamed to say that for the first 20 minutes of the day, the mattress usually wins. Uh, <laughs> And there's a match going on inside of us. There's a contest of, you know, wanting to do one thing and then on the other side, wanting to do another. And to me, the first thing that jumps out of of this is that there's this battle, this contest between right motivation and hypocrisy. So you'll see that up there, right motivation versus hypocrisy. And that word hypocrisy uh, has its root in the theater, in acting, in wearing masks, uh, hypocrites were people, and the root word of that is speaking about people who uh, acted, would put on a mask. And so it's saying literally um, that when we are hypocrites, we're putting on a show, we're putting on a costume, and wearing faith and holiness like a costume. But ultimately, if it's a costume, there's a point where we're going to have to take that off. We can't keep that up forever. We can't keep up that pretense forever. And if all we ever do is try and keep up an appearance, if all we ever do is try and make ourselves look good, like Jesus speaks about these, uh, the hypocrites that would announce their giving, would announce their praying, would announce their fasting, if all we're doing is trying to make ourselves look good without actually having the substance there to back it up, then eventually we're going to come unstuck somewhere along the line, aren't we? And Jesus sort of paints this larger-than-life picture, uh, first of all, of giving to the needy. And it would be a little bit like uh, this evening if we'd uh, come to the mercy offering and we'd sort of walked up and said, 
100 pound going in here, you know, and sort of made this, or we had one of those huge checks like they have on Comic Relief and Children in Need or something, and sort of waved that around and got the camera crew to... He paints this exaggerated picture almost of people uh, announcing their giving with fanfares. And sometimes, as people we have, as, I guess as in our real lives, in, in everyday life, we sometimes have this need to sort of, if we're honest, almost present ourselves better than we really are, or perhaps, you know, we want to appear as good as we possibly can. Would anyone agree with that? We don't want to look, we don't want to look stupid, do we? We want to look as good as we possibly can. But sometimes, if that's all we're relying on, eventually we're going to come unstuck. I just want to show a little clip of, uh, this is a program that's uh, on, BBC, on BBC One at the moment that you may be familiar with called The Apprentice. And uh, at the start of each of these series, then, you have this group of candidates, uh, apprentices that come on, and they make some very, very bold claims about themselves at the start. And as things progress, you start to see that after a while they come a little bit unstuck. Let's just have a look at some of the things that they say about themselves. There's absolutely nothing mediocre about me. I'm supremely intelligent, ambitious, I'm an all-round gifted individual. I'm charismatic, I'm intelligent, I'm at the top of my game, and I'm unbeatable. I consider myself an absolutely fantastic salesman. Everything I touch turns to sold. I describe myself as a bit of a maverick. You absolutely have to stand out these days. You've got to be different. Pressure brings out the best in me. I'm young, I'm adaptable and agile. I will be the last woman standing. Success and money motivate me. My first word wasn't mummy, it was money. But to succeed, they'll have to impress the boss. I did ask for something special in this boardroom this year. That is something special. Zero, South. You're fired. You're fired. You've talked yourself out of this. You are fired. So what you hear at the beginning, these bold claims about themselves don't always match up to the final product. It's inevitable that from time to time, whoever we are and whatever we do, we're, gonna, we're going to mess up in some situations. Even those of us who try our hardest to be you know, the purest, the nicest, the most holy of holy Christians, at some point we're going to make a mistake. We're going to say something or do something that reveals a, a chink in our armor, I guess. And uh, there's a quote that... Um, I heard many, many years ago, and it's, I guess it's, it's resonated with me at various times um, over the years. This is a quote from someone called Brennan Manning, and he writes, the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. You know, we have... Uh, an obligation, a duty to, to live a life of integrity, uh, of reality uh, before people, because there's a world out there that's watching us. And uh, if we claim to be one thing um, while not actually living up to that in reality, we're gonna, there's going to be a problem. When, and when we rely on an appearance of righteousness to keep us going, to sustain us, we're going to run into trouble. We need a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ that's born out of integrity and a right motivation. There's been a lot of damage over the years caused by Christians who have, I guess, acted hypocritically towards others, that they've said one thing but lived another. 
And there may be people here tonight who have actually, you would say you've almost been affected, been damaged almost by uh, Christians that you have met, that you've encountered over the years, that have not lived out what they've spoken, that what they've declared from perhaps from the front has not been what you've seen in reality. And God, God detests hypocrisy. God hates hypocrisy. And people's lives can be wrecked as they see someone that they look up to claiming to be one thing, but then totally, under, uh, totally undermining it with their actions. And, you know, today we live in a cynical and suspicious world. And people aren't easily fooled. You know, they've seen enough religious scandals in the, in the newspapers, and they've even seen the political scandals in the newspapers. And people aren't easily trusting. People want authentic. They want the real thing. And the only way that we're ever going to convince a skeptical world out there um, that Jesus Christ is the real thing is by our actions, is by being real and being authentic. Because otherwise we can make the most vital truth seem like a pack of lies. So let's not become people who make bold claims and then don't have the character to live it out. Let's not be people who are so concerned of you know, making a show of what we're doing, that we're, that we're giving, that we're praying, that we're fasting, that we're doing all these things, but then not actually having the character and actually living out um, the right kind of life. Let's just leave out those bold claims altogether and let's just live righteously before God and let him take care of the rest. Because it's not all about us trying to make a big name for ourselves, is it? And that's what Jesus addresses here. So the second battle that I see going on and that Jesus raises here is right motivation versus pride. And sometimes we can be proud. And sometimes, you know, we like to, uh, I think particularly today, um, who here is on, who's on Facebook here? Anybody a Facebook user or a, a Twitter user? And there's kind of a, I guess a cultural thing now that it's almost, it's, it's really, really important now for everybody to know everything that you're doing all of the time. Yes? <laughs> so when we're, you know, having our dinner, we need to let people know on Facebook and on Twitter. When we're cleaning our teeth, we've got to let people know. You know, everything that we do, our lives need to be out there in public. That's uh, the kind of, I think, the, the culture that we live in at times. And, you know, I'm not knocking Facebook. I use Facebook. I use Twitter. It's a great way of of keeping in touch and connecting with people, but sometimes it gets a bit crazy, doesn't it? <laughs> and I think if, if Jesus were, te- were telling this story today or telling it about, um, you know, speaking into uh, our culture, you know, there may be examples here about Facebook. Um, you know, so you might get something like, Kev prayed for 14 solid hours today, quick bite to eat, then it's time for my personal Bible study. You know, that kind of thing going on Facebook. <laughs> you see it from time to time. You know. Or, you know, Pete has just helped an old lady across the road. <laughs> or, you know, just off for my quiet time. Well, be quiet then. And <laughs> get off Facebook. <laughs> but, 
But, you know, on Facebook, on Twitter, on these kind of things, we present an idealized version of ourselves, don't we? I don't think anyone really ever presents the full picture of who they are. Otherwise, it would get a bit messy, wouldn't it? It's rare that people are going to tell the full story. And sometimes, you know, that can, that can spill over in, into our lives. And if, if in life all we ever do is just sort of announce the good things that we do, we just sort of pick out the little snapshots and the good things that we do, um, we're not really being authentic. We're not really uh, telling the full story. And Jesus speaks about this, about people who want to just announce all the good things. And so, you know, you have people coming into church and, um, you know, he speaks in this, in this example about fasting. You know, of coming into church and you, or wherever you go into and you're fasting, but announcing it. Saying, oh, I'm really hungry because I'm on a fast at the moment, you know. Or oh, oh, that coffee smells really nice. All oh, those cakes look lovely, but can't have any. I'm on a six-month fast, you know, tap water for me all the way. You know, has anyone got any, anyone got any lozenges? Anyone got any whole soothers? Because I've been praying since 6 a.m. this morning. You know, if we were just spent our time announcing those things, well, we're going to look pretty stupid, aren't we? And would we be so quick to announce if we messed up and if we did something wrong? And actually, when Jesus addresses this issue of fasting, the interesting thing, and particularly when you look at it in the message version, that it speaks about, it says uh, something along the lines of that when you um, want to give up food because of your devotion to God, then don't announce it. So it's actually saying that the motivation to do the fasting was right. You know, you want, you're fasting because you want to devote the time to God. But then you can, so you can actually have that right motivation to fast, but then you can go and spoil all of that by going out and announcing it because then it becomes, look at me, aren't I great? Look at what I'm doing for God. And it can go round and round in a cycle. Uh, when he speaks about prayer, I could almost go on to another preacher of, of what he says, uh, gives us this example of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He tells us how we should pray. And that just cuts through all this idea of, you know, of self-promotion, of pride, of making ourselves look big, because in that prayer, there's some pretty humbling things where it says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. And then we're told that we should ask for help. We're told that we should ask God to provide us the things that we need. We're told that we should ask uh, God to help us to live the right kind of life. So it's not us saying, have, we've got it all figured out. We're, we've, you know, we're, we're capable of living this holy life by ourselves. It's saying, God, we need your help. We need you to, uh, to be with us and help us um, to live life in the right way. So it cuts through that pride and this idea that we've got it all uh, figured out. And sometimes, you know, our prayer isn't always like that, I guess. I don't know, what, what postures do we adopt to pray sometimes? You know, I think um, sometimes we, uh, we have this one, don't we? We say, let's pray, and then everyone sort of bows down like that. Or maybe it's, you know, your arms outstretched. When I was at um, Sunday school, uh, years and years ago, we used to have to um, curl up like a little mouse to pray. So, it was the, so when we pray, everyone would curl up like this and pray. <laughs> I never realized it was weird, actually, until I got thrown out of that Friday night prayer meeting a few months back. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
you know, I, I grew up in the, in the Anglican tradition, so sometimes the prayers were accompanied by the sound of the pipe organ. The pipe organ would start up, and then everyone would sing their prayers. And, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with all of those things, but sometimes we can adopt these things that we do when we pray just because this is what we do when we pray. And, you know, what I'm encouraging is, is just to think about why do, why do we do those things? What is it actually all about when we come to pray? But it's, it's about us connecting with God. It's not, uh, it's not a show. It's not uh, um, us just doing something because that's what you do when you pray. But it's just about us connecting with the living God. We don't need to use a special prayer voice. We don't need to use special prayer words. And Jesus warns against uh, that in other parts of the Bible about you know, the, the kind of one-upmanship in prayer. You know, and it, the sad thing is that there are some, sometimes there are people who perhaps would want to know more about Jesus, would want to come to church, but feel alienated because of the, the prayer language that they might be expected to use, because of, um, you know, some of the religious things that they might be expected to do. Um, and we want to cut through all of that. And Jesus, elsewhere in the Bible, uh, tells this story, and I'm just going to uh, rush through this very quickly, but he speaks about the he gives this parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And he says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I've got. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus goes on to say, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. The Pharisee had done everything that he thought that he needed to do, to make him look good before other people. It's not about us trying to please others. And so the third thing um, that I want to draw your attention to, and I think that Jesus brings out in his words, he says right uh, is that right motivation stands against people-pleasing. The right motivation versus people-pleasing. Anybody here ever wanted to please other people? I know that I have. But we're not called to, to live like that. We're not called to live our lives to please others. You know, I want to be someone who pleases God. But I know there are times there's that battle again. There's that conflict that goes on in my, in my heart, in my mind, where sometimes I become consumed with the thoughts of wanting to please others. But we need to not value the approval of other people, even of other Christians, more highly than we value the approval of God himself. So it's not about us, you know, when we pray, when we give, when we fast. It's not about us trying to do that to impress the person who's sitting next to us in church. It's not about us trying to impress the pastor. It's not about us trying to impress any other person. What's important is that we have a genuine relationship with God. And out of that, we live righteously. Not making a show of it, but we live right. We have that right motivation. 
Now, that doesn't mean it's not an excuse that, you know, oh, we, we're not here to please other people. So that's not an excuse for us to then go out and be as rude as possible to everybody else around us, be offensive and just beat people down. And, you know, I'm not bothered what they think. I'm pleasing God. doesn't matter what they think of me. doesn't matter what I say to them. That's not what I'm saying here. So please don't go out thinking that that now means that you can go and <laughs> be as rude as you like to the people around you. And also in this, I'm... Um, you know, I feel there's almost, a, again, a conflict. Uh, last week at, um, at our Sunday at 6 service over in Ilkeston, um, I was preaching there about living in the light and letting our light shine before men that they may see our good deeds. And then this week I started to think, you know, well, this is a bit confusing, isn't it? Because we're supposed to live in the light and we're supposed to let people see our good deeds, but then we're not supposed to be making a show of it and, you know, sort of having this fanfare and, you know, announcing what we do. It says, don't announce your good deeds. But again, it comes down to the motivation, I think, doesn't it? And that, a lot of these things, that's all we can ever really say. It's just down to the motivation. What is our heart? And that's why, you know, the, the Bible says that God looks at the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And that's really the only thing that it, that it can be tested on, isn't it? Because if we're there just trying to live in a, a good way, and we're trying to do good things because we think that so-and-so is going to say, well done, and someone's going to thank us, and someone's going to uh, think we're really good, then that's not the right motivation. But if we're doing it because we want to glorify God, and we want to bring increase to his kingdom, that's the right motivation. And the thing with this people-pleasing, something else that's really just sort of struck, struck me this week, Sometimes you can think of that, of, you know, this thing of wanting to please other people, almost like a, an arrogance and about, you know, just wanting to promote ourselves and this kind of ambition. And um, I don't think it always comes out of that. Because I, I know that sometimes I have, you know, I have this conflict. I want to please other people. And I would like to think that I'm not just this, you know, pure naked ambition kind of person and arrogant. And I think sometimes. You know, our, our, our desire to please other people can almost come out of an insecurity. It can come out of a need for validation, a need for other people to, um, to reassure us and comfort us. And sometimes we can be strengthened by the words that other people say to us. So when someone says, that was great, that was brilliant, well done, it spurs us on and it encourages us to do more. And I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying that people shouldn't do that. So please don't think now you don't say thank you to anyone and you don't say well done and you don't validate anybody else. You know, I'm not saying thanks to her. God can do that, you know. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that if we're just living out our lives seeking after the approval of other people, then we're kind of missing the point. And sometimes that approval won't come. Because sometimes we will work hard. We will do things. We will really, really, you know, almost wear ourselves out with things. And maybe you won't get a thank you. Maybe nobody will say, well done. But be encouraged that as you serve out of genuine motivation, see God's kingdom increase. And God is cheering you on. God sees what you do. So, you know, after this preach, you know, feel free to say well done. Lovely sermon. <laughs> you won't get struck down. <laughs>
but I won't go to pieces if I don't get that because I'm not here to please people. <laughs> it's a difficult cycle once you get into this, <laughs> and it's a delicate balancing act. There's a different slant to this again in, you know, that... Um, That when we, when we think of ministry, when we think of living our lives for God, sometimes we can become focused on you know, the ministry in terms of church and having a role in church, what we do in church. But our ministry, what we do for God, extends far beyond that. So it could be the housework. It could be your uh, job in a secular workplace. And there, you're perhaps even less likely to get a crowd rushing up wanting to give you a, a pat on the back and say, well done. But again, God is cheering us on. If we are living our lives out of a right motivation where we just get on and we do good and we, uh, uh, we serve him, then God cheers us on. It's a reminder, again, for us to do everything as unto the Lord. As, as a church and as individuals, we should never fall into that trap of being more concerned about the praises of man, the praises of other people, than we are concerned about what we're doing before God. Never more concerned about putting on a good show than we are about serving God humbly and with integrity. Uh, Someone once wrote a message to a group of believers using these harsh words. It said, I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and conventions. I want nothing to do with your religion projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and image making. I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. Pretty harsh. That was actually God's words of Israel in the book of Amos. These words came from God through the the prophet. And God, through this prophet, goes on to say, when was the last time you thanked me? Do you know what I want? I want justice, oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want. This is very, very challenging. I find this very personally challenging. And it's a reminder that God isn't looking for you know, a good show or a nicely presented package, but he wants above all people who worship him from the heart, people who show his love and his infinite justice to the world. And you know, in all three examples that Jesus gives in this passage, when he speaks about giving to the needy, when he speaks about prayer, when he speaks about fasting. Jesus emphasizes the correct way. He says in all of them, don't be like the hypocrites, don't do as the hypocrites do, don't be like the hypocrites. But then he also says, you know, when you give, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. When you pray, pray in this way. When you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face and go out. And it all comes down to not putting on a show, but just having that integrity. So very quickly, 
what do we need to do? If we have the right motivation, what do we need to do? We need to serve others without looking for reward and recompense. We need to devote ourselves wholly and completely. And we need to walk humbly before our God. And Jesus was our perfect model of integrity. And it says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and not to, to uh, jump in what somebody else may say in a future week, but it says that when Jesus concluded his address, the crowd burst into applause. They'd never heard teaching like this. It was apparent that he was living everything he was saying quite different to their religious religion teachers. This was the best teaching they had ever heard. And it's because Jesus had that integrity. It's because Jesus wasn't someone who just said one thing, who put on this show. But it was because he had integrity, because he lived it out, that his teaching was endured. That's why that sermon is there, that we can read it today, that we can stand here and sit here now and be, be talking about it. Because integrity, right motivation, overcomes hypocrisy. It overcomes pride. And it overcomes people-pleasing. With all the bad press that occurs around the world today about Christianity, it can seem like, you know, how can we turn the tide? How can little old me do anything about it? But back then, there were plenty just like there are now, plenty of people around who are giving uh, God a bad name. And we hear about the Pharisees and we hear about the religious teachers. But it's the teaching of Jesus that has endured for 2,000 years plus. Because people won't be swayed easily by hypocrisy, by pride, by people pleasing. They want the real thing. And more importantly, God wants the real thing. I'm just bringing it back to that passage, that final verse. Matthew 6, verse 18, it says, And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you.